go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> well, good morning, City Church. Um, I know most of you, are, again, I have preached three of the last four weeks, but I also know there's some uh, first-time guests in here, so if you don't know me, my name is Clayton Feltz. I get to uh, serve as the associate pastor here at City Church, and uh, it is something that uh, has been joyful since I started in April, and also humbling. Uh, you guys have gotten to see me three of the last four weeks, but uh, again, most of you know my family, but some of you don't. And so uh, I won't make them stand because that would be embarrassing, but I have a beautiful, wonderful wife, Katie, who I've been married to for 13 years, I cannot believe that, um, who is an elementary school teacher up and coming. We have two kids, Paige, who is in here, who is nine, and Tyler, who is back at City Kids, who is eight. Um, and we actually had the awesome, wonderful privilege of adop adopting them, excuse me, last August. And so we have an awesome family. Along with my uh, family like that, we also have two dogs. Uh, we have a dog named Winston, who is 11, and a dog named Franklin, who is 9. And they are both massive dogs. We're not little dog people. We have big dogs. In fact, let me say this. Uh, a few years ago, our dog Winston who is about 100 pounds, he's a Vista Lab mix, super athletic. Katie and I were at a dog park, and I actually threw a lacrosse ball. He's a great retriever. I threw a lacrosse ball. Winston takes off as fast as he could and hits Katie right in the leg right here and broke her tibula right in half. Just snapped it in half. Thank, the dog didn't stop. He got the ball. He brought it back. I'm like, oh, you rolled your ankle. I'm so sorry, honey. And she's like, no, I'm in serious pain. And it's like, what is going on here? Um, but that's our family. And what's interesting is I say that, and I actually mentioned our dogs for a reason. Because if today I had to go back home and my family fell on hard financial times, like really we had to make some tough decisions, if I was looking at everything equally just with data, just with numbers, then if I had to make what's a good financial decision, how we could save the most money in our family, and I had to cut someone out of our family, then I'll go ahead and tell you, if it was just numbers, I'm cutting my wife. I love her. She's awesome. She's not a diva. Don't get me wrong. Like, but she costs more than the dogs. The dogs cost like 40, 50 bucks of dog food, and we'd make sure they're healthy. But like, that's really it. Like, I'm not choosing, choosing the dogs to be cut if it's just off numbers, right? They're not very expensive. And then if it's, if it's not money, if, I, if time was our most valuable resource, which we're going to talk a little bit about that today, and I was looking again, my family makeup, and I was kind of weighing the options. Who do I keep? Who do I don't? And I had to make that decision, then by far and above, my kids take way more time than anyone else. So they're gone. Like, I got the dogs, right? I walk them for 30 minutes a day. They're old. They sleep the rest of the day. And then I can go about my business. Now, I jokingly say all that, but the truth is... We all know why that would be wrong if I chose my dogs over my family. I hope we know that at least. Because my family are people. They're people. They're created in the image of God. My dogs are awesome. Pets are great. But they're not people. And so if I'm looking at valuing stuff, people are always going to be more valuable. It's interesting. We live in a time right now where people are obsessed with identity. Obsessed. It's, it's, it's all over the news. It's, it's everywhere. And I, and I looked this up. There are 58, 58 
identifications you could select on Facebook. I'm not going to read them. I don't want to. I didn't even look at what they all are. But 58, you can identify 58 different ways on Facebook. Unbelievable. And yet, as crazy as our society is with weighing identity and this debate on identity, no one's going to debate my family's more valuable than my dog's. In fact, I read a really, honestly, a sad story this week about a girl who truly believes, and this is Billy, your worst nightmare, she truly believes she's a cat. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, yeah, I mean, it's funny, but it, it really isn't. This girl has a true mental health crisis. She drinks out of a bowl, eats out of a bowl. Like, no one in society is going, that's That's okay. Right? Like, she can just be a cat, and it's fine. No, people are like, man, there, there's something wrong there. There's something off. You can't, you can't be a cat. We know this. You don't have to be a Jesus follower to, to look at this. But what I want to show you today is there's a reason for this, because as I said earlier, that people are valuable, that you and I, we are created in the image of God. We are the Imago Dei. We are image bearers. We are image bearers. Look at Genesis chapter 1 with me. This is where all this comes from. It's not our main text, but again, it gives us context, starting in verse 26. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, and so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. He made us. He created us. He is the creator, right? He's a wonderful, perfect, holy creator. But not only did he make us in his image, but it says right there, then God said, let us, let us make man in our image after our likeness. It actually is the picture of the Trinity there from the beginning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, together we are made in His image, in their likeness. In their likeness. That's why people have value. Period. I read another story this week. There's a church in, in Texas that was getting some pushback because um, people were very confused when they started pouring into, uh, honestly, a group of exotic dancers that were located right down from their church. And when they asked the the pastor about this and the church about it, they said, why wouldn't we um, love those people well, right? Like, why wouldn't we go and, and, and look at them as image bearers and go, gosh, you have a story. Let us lean into you because too often those people are ignored. They're treated as commodities, as usefulness to whatever pleasure and desire these people want. And he's like, no, that's not who they are. They're, they're image bearers. They have a story, and he said, what's interesting is when, when we started, when they leaned into these, these, um, these dancers, these women, what they found out was most of them didn't want to do what they were doing. They didn't have a desire, a deep desire. They didn't grow up going, gosh, that's what I want to be when I grow up. No, no, no. They were in that because they felt like they had to be, because it was a means to the end financially. They didn't know another way. And so he said, we started pushing into that space that too often God's people don't, and showing them, hey, you have value, you're worth something, worth a lot, because you were made by a creator. It's why racism has no place in the church, period, full stop, period. 
Absolutely not. It is demonic. Why? Because every tribe, tongue, and nation is made up by image bearers, is made up by those created by the image of God. I love what Tim Keller says. He says, the image of God carries with it the right not to be mistreated or harmed, Regardless of their record or character, all human beings have an erectable glory and significance to them because God loves them. So we must treasure each and every human being as a way of showing due respect for the majesty of their owner and creator. Their owner and the creator. And so if you and I, if we are made in in, in God's image and we are to be like their likeness, like the Trinity's likeness, We have to look at how do we live our life? How are we living that out practically? So this series in Psalms is is practical. Last week I wrapped up 2 Timothy and it was a a more theological, deeper uh, sermon. It was kind of, we got in the weeds a little bit and and look, that's me. I like that kind of stuff. But this one's a little lighter. It's a little more practical. Um, But the content is still valuable. It's still valuable because what I'm going to go through today in Psalm 8 is this idea. That you and I are created in the image of God, and God has set us apart. A holy God has set us apart for a reason. For a reason. Now, it's funny. Billy got up here earlier, and, and we did the, the moment of kind of silence. And then Nolan stopped, um, about to go through the, the, the bridge and chorus, and, and stopped there. And, um, when I came here this morning, I had no idea that they were going to do that. And yet, it's like God's weaving this idea of resting and slowing down into what he would have us here today. Because Jesus was intentional, but he was never hurried. He was always interruptible. Look at the life of how he lived it. If we are the image bearers created in his likeness, that we are to live like him, all we have to do is look at his life, how he lived. And yet, yeah, this is in my notes, and Billy asked you guys to raise your hand, but I'm going to ask again. If you've been tired or exhausted or you feel like you can never get ahead, just in the last couple months, raise your hand. Go ahead, raise them. I can't really see. Let me look. Look around. Okay? I used to think this was only outside the church, and those who followed Jesus, man, they never were exhausted or tired. And then uh, I got into ministry, and that, that went out the window. Um, But the truth is, you don't have to do what I do for a living to feel that because you guys had your hands up. That we're living in a time, in a society that is exhausted inside and outside the church. The people are tired. And they feel like, man, I don't have enough time. I never can get ahead. And, And I started thinking about this. Really, there are two types of problems that cause this. Two types of pressures. One is external, and I I just want to show you kind of some external pressures that none of us can control. None of us can, all right? And I want to look back at the last century. In the 20th century, you had a a shift between an an agrarian society and an industrial society. So people went from working on the farm to working into the city. You see the creation of assembly lines and all that. That shifts early on in the 1900s. And then you have things like World War I, And you have things like the Spanish flu pandemic that killed a lot of people. And then you get the Depression, but then we get out of the Depression with World War II, which is a sovereign nation, Germany, invading its neighbors just because they decided to. And you keep going through that century and get to 
the civil rights era and the ugliness of, of race in that moment. And thank goodness we started reconciling that, but there was a period there that was just really bad. And then you get to Vietnam and, and the lack of trust in, in, in um, traditional institutions. And you get to the 70s, and we're a younger church, but if you were around back then, you would remember that the 70s, man, they make our interest rates right now look really low still, as bad as inflation and stuff is right now. And you had that throughout like a, a, a 70, 80-year span, all in that century. And here's the crazy thing. The time we're living in, we've gone through all that, all those issues in three years. Three years. Pandemic. Politically, we're more divided than ever. We can't even understand, like, rally around a single truth, right? Has race been an issue? Yeah, it has, absolutely. War? Yeah, there's a war going on right now where a sovereign nation has invaded another, right? We've shifted in our economy where we've gone through that industrial time, but now we're in a, a technological time, an awareness time, where that's changed and it's changing quickly. And absolutely, we're in a tough economic time where jobs are available, but inflation is high. Costs are more expensive. It costs 34% more this year to buy your 4th of July supplies for tomorrow than it did just a year ago. We're living through a century's worth of external pressures, and we've been doing it for three years. And it's exhausting. Exhausting. And if that wasn't enough, there's also internal pressures that some of those come from those external, but depression is higher than it's ever been. Anxiety is through the roof. People feel, again, like they don't have enough time. Study after study shows that people cannot sleep well. And we always feel like we always have to be on, that we can never turn it off. And yet... Yeah, we think that time is our problem, and it is, but we also think time is the solution. And the truth is, if I gave you 10 more hours in the day, you would probably do what I would do with it. You would feel it like you currently do, and you'd be even more tired and more exhausted. So time cannot be the solution. No, awareness has to be it. We have to, as Billy was saying, we have to slow down and be aware of the Lord. We have to rest in him. Our solution is a new awareness in God. I love what John Mark Comer says in his book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He says, so many people live without a sense of God's presence throughout the day. We sit around sucked into our phones or TVs or to-do lists, oblivious to the God who is around us, with us, in us, even more desirous than we are for relationship. To paraphrase that, he would say, because what you give your attention to is the person you become. And what you give your attention to is the person you become. So the question has to be, are we giving enough attention to God, to the Lord, as image bearers ourselves? Are we giving enough attention to the one who created us, who knows our purpose, who wants us to be in his likeness with him? With him. So, with that, turn over to Psalm 8. It's a very short psalm. Psalm 8, because it's this idea that David is running here, and David is going to rest by remembering. 
He's going to rest by remembering. We'll have it on the screen, but I want you to have your Bible because that's, this is a, a section of Psalm that I want you to do something with me here. I want you to read the, I'm going to read it out loud, but I want you to read the first verse with me, and I want you to read the ninth, the last verse with me. So we're going to start reading. You read the first with me. I'll keep going, two through eight, and then you guys pick it back up on number nine, okay? All right. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you've established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The reason I had you read the first and the ninth is if you'll see, they match. They match. They're this inclusio language that you see in poetry in a song. It's the first and the last match because the first and the last are the main point. The main point. David here, and if you look at early in, in the book of Psalm, you see first in, in the second chapter of this idea of this coming king that's going to rule, but then you see three through seven that David's life is a mess. David is exhausted. David is tired. David is weary. But yet David in number eight prays to the Lord here and it rests his soul. He slows down in silence and remembers. And he starts out this prayer, this poem, this song as, O Lord, our Lord, it's personal to him. How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. It's the idea that God has all authority. He rules all. As Genesis said, he is the creator. David is praying to him. He knows he is sovereign. He is powerful. And nothing in the earth happens without him. And he's crying out as he remembers the Lord. We sometimes need, like David, just to stop and rest in that. Just sit and rest in that. John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Are you resting, being satisfied in your creator? Or are you just too busy to do that? too distracted. You know, I hear people all the time say, I just don't have enough time to pray. Time is not the problem with prayerlessness. Slow down. Look, real practical, some of us just need to slow down and pause. David paused and he's remembering, remembering who he is. But he's starting out this with remembering who the Lord is. But then he does switch gears. He says, 
Verse 2, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. It's this odd transition. It's like, here, hey, hey God, you are, you are glorious and your size is huge and you are mighty and awesome and powerful. You have all authority in heaven. Oh, and out of the mouth of babies and infants. What? Like, David's just transition here is a little odd, but what he's getting at is think about a baby or an infant. Honestly, they're really weak. Like, they're not strong. They can't be left alone. They can't feed themselves. They can't get anywhere. They're not really doing anything productive. They're just kind of surviving. Like, again, they're the smallest of the small. They're babies and infants. They have no strength. They have no control of their life. They're completely dependent on someone else. That's what David's getting out here. That we wrestle with control all the time. We want to feel like we're in control all the time. And he's saying, listen, do you know God Almighty, how powerful he is? Do you know how he stops those who try to avenge him, who his enemies try to go against him? He uses the weakest of weak. He uses the available. Listen, don't rest in your control or strength. Rest on your dependence in him. That's what David's saying. Rest in your dependence in Him. Uh, it's like this image. If I brought, uh, I brought one of these chairs up here, and I pushed all my weight on the chair, just all my strength in the chair, I'm not doing anything to hold myself up. The chair's doing all the work. And yet, that's how we go across life. We like to go, I'm going to push as hard as I can. It's just going to be good strategy, and my strength, and my knowledge, and my intelligence, and all that. I'm going to depend on what I know. And you're going to push hard. And yet, it's exhausting. And what God is saying, what David is looking at is, listen, God, you are so mighty and powerful, and you're using the weakest of the weakest. You know why? Because the weakest of weakest depend on you. Like the chair. The chair does not depend on me to hold me up. I depend on the chair's strength to hold me up. That's how David is recounting this. This is King David. We also think King David, mighty David. By the way, I love to really, just really relate to David, and not because I'm 5'8". I mean, I'm, I feel like David was a small guy. I just think that. I don't know if he really was. But I was like, oh, I can relate to David. And that's ultimately not why. But it's because, listen, David was the shepherd boy. He was the kid. He wasn't the strongest and biggest. He was the one you're not picking first in the draft. And it God anoints him. It's why everyone, Christian and non, will talk about the story, David versus Goliath. It's not because David was the mighty warrior. David's the underdog. He's the weak. And yet God used him over and over. The Israelites, what do they, who do they pick as the king? King Saul. Mighty King Saul. Big King Saul. Looked the right part, acted the right way. No, no, no. God said, no, I'm going that guy, David the least likely, the one with the right heart. And yet, David's on the run. David's on the run when he, when he gets here. And yet, God used him. Listen, we're human. We are created in his image. We were, we were dust out of the dirt. He created us in his image. And like little children in our weakness, because of his power, he can use us. 
That's why David reflects back in verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. Which you have set in place. That God is so powerful, so mighty. He uses his finger to create the moon and the stars. I am not a science guy. I am a history guy. I love history. Come talk to me about 4th of July. I'd love to. Don't talk to me about space. I don't know anything about space other than what I'm about to tell you. And I had to look this up. But did you know that on the earth, we can see about 7,000 stars in our galaxy? 7,000, we can see. The crazy thing is, there are over 2 billion stars in our solar system alone. 2 billion. And God used his finger to put them there. I mean, I don't think we go through life thinking about that. I think we're so rushed and so busy, we miss that. Listen, I challenge you this week, go outside, when you're, maybe when you're going to see fireworks, and just look up for just a second and look at the stars. How big and mighty God is. David would have known this as he looked up to the sky, and he's reflecting, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, you, you have set in place. And therefore, when he reflects on that, he says then, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him? Little old man. God, this is who you are. Why would you care for me? Little me. And all your glory and all your majesty and all your authority. What do I have that I can offer you? And yet, in verse 5, he says, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. That David is saying, God, you are mighty. You use the weak to accomplish your goals, your kingdom. Who am I? You hung the stars in the moon, and yet, little old man, you remember me. And not only do you remember me, you have crowned me with glory and honor. Like, what in the world, God? I can't believe that. I can't believe it. Listen, I can be so distracted, so busy, or so deep in theology sometimes that I miss the simplicity beauty of that. That God, mighty God, our creator God, invites us, as big as he is, as powerful as he is, without sin that he is, and yet as messy as I am, he invites me. I mean, there's so much hope and joy in that. But we have to rest by remembering that. We have to, David is resting by remembering who he is in the Lord. And not only that, he then sees what you and I, as image bearers, are created to do. Verse 6, you have given him dominion. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. That's unbelievable. It's unbelievable that we were giving the responsibility to 
create and to cultivate and to build and to work. But here's the thing, and if we're not careful, this is what we do. We like to do all those things, and we like to do it for our own little kingdom and not His. Relying on our own strength and not His. For our own glory and not His. And David starts by remembering who the Lord is, because now David knows whatever he does, he does it not for his glory, but for the Lord's. Not in his strength, but for the Lord's. Listen, when you rely on the Lord's dependence to build and to work, and you do that, that, that's how you go to do your job. That's how you lean into your family. Listen, you stop being exhausted and you start having peace. You start feeling rest. But Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. And yet we walk around. I asked you to raise your hand earlier. How many of you are feeling like life is that way? Now, don't, don't hear me wrong. It doesn't mean trouble goes away. And trouble doesn't mean sinfulness. But it means that it's not your burden to carry anymore. It's his. David rested in his majesty and his glory and his strength. And he worked out of that because God's given us dominion. Listen, you and I cannot produce fruit. We are to abide in him. And out of that abiding, he produces fruit through us. The solution to how to properly live, since we are made in his likeness and, and we want to rest in him, is to simply look at Jesus. Look how he did it. Jesus himself did it very practically. As followers of Jesus, as disciples, as his apprentices, we should see how this has played out. So turn with me to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. Because if God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and Jesus is part of that, then how did Jesus do this? Right? So if the problem is we're exhausted, and the solution is we are to rest and remember in the Lord, then how does this look practically? Then Jesus is going to show us in Matthew 21. In Matthew 21, we are going to see how Jesus came in. So Jesus has lived his life, and he's coming in to Jerusalem for this triumphant entry. And yet Jesus did not come in, listen, he didn't come in at the end where, where this is the end. He's not coming in riding a white horse with a victory sword. That's how people thought he was going to enter. He didn't come in that way. No, 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 no. He came in on a colt, on a donkey, as a humble servant. He rides in, and all authority under heaven is in him. And yet he's going to leverage that authority to help others. To cultivate others, to build others up before himself. So what does he do? He goes to the temple. And those who thought they had authority, he confronts. And he cleanses the temple. And as he entered it, he tells these people, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you, have make it, but you make it, excuse me, a den of robbers. It's this place, the temple, where they were to meet with God, and God himself is coming because he has put on flesh to take our place. He goes to the temple, and he tells the people who are taking advantage of those who are oppressed and down and, and have no hope, what are you doing? He confronts them. 
There's no place here for you. What are you doing? And yet, verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. He healed them. He looked upon those who were weak, those who authority had pushed down, and he saw them, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes, the powerful, saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children, the weak, tiny children, crying out in the temple, Hosanna, Savior, to the Son of David, they were indignant. They said to him, do you hear what these are saying? That it threw off the balance of they, their authority. That Jesus came and he leveraged who he was to heal those who had no power. And he confronts the ones who thought they did have power. And the children, the sweet children, see it. They see it. I think of my son Tyler last night. He saw some fireworks that made a little family gathering. Saw it. And just the expression, the joy of a child. Just, ah! Oh, like that's the picture here. These children see Jesus and they see the wonderful things he is doing. And they cry out, Hosanna! A childlike faith. A childlike faith they saw, with pure eyes they saw. And these leaders go, do you hear what these are saying? Do you hear what these little kids are saying? And I love Jesus' response. And Jesus said to them, yes. Yes. He heard them. There was no test. And these kids... They were just trusting in faith that he is who he is. And then he confronts the leaders. He says, have you never read? Psalm 8. Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Listen, we can rest by practically serving humbly with a childlike faith in Christ. You don't have to do anything. It's not gain more information. It is simply depending on what you were created for, which is to be in relationship with him. Listen, you and I can't do it all. We try. We think we can. And we think if we just get one more app or we just get one more technology or when the latest phone comes out, if we just get that, that'll make everything fine. And yet I look back on the technology I had when I was in college. And when I was a freshman in college in the athletic department, I was working on, we still sent faxes now. Faxes. When's the last time you sent a fax? Anyone? I mean, right? Gene? Gene in the back raised her hand. School teacher, Gene. They don't have any resources. It's okay. <laughs> well, technology goes, and I love, listen, I'm not anti-technology. I'm not saying you shouldn't be organized. You should. That's good. There's wisdom in that. I'm saying, are you resting in that or resting in the one who created you, who gave you authority, who gave you a dominion. Listen, Christ himself was the ultimate ruler, but he became the ultimate servant. He was the strongest and he became the weakest. And he did that for you and he did that for me.
There's a book, Pilgrim's Progress, and if you've never read that, that's, it's okay. But it's a great book. I would encourage you to read it. There's a lot of great stuff in it. And in this scene, there's a scene in it where there's a, a muckraker, okay? And he's down, and he's, he's got his rake, and he's just digging in the mud, and he's digging in the mud, and he's digging in the mud. And he's offered this gold crown that comes down. And yet he misses it because he won't look up. Because he is so consumed with the filth of just turning it over, over and over and over. And he misses that beautiful crown of glory. That's us sometimes. We don't feel rest because we don't look up don't look up, we miss what God has made us for. And I want to encourage you, slow down, look up. Tomorrow, man, reflect on the 4th of July. Celebrate that we are Americans. That's good, man. I, I praise God we have the freedoms we have. But may it also remind you to slow down and reflect you as an image bearer made in the likeness of of the Trinity. David did. That's Psalm 8. He did. He slowed down. And that's why he started. And that's why he ended by praising and singing and praying, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth.